Well, good morning. Welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian. If this is your first Sunday, my name's Dustin, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, we're going through the Gospel of John. We're into John chapter 10 this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at this passage of John 10, uh, verses 1 through 21, uh, today and tomorrow. We're going to split it about in half this morning. Uh, we'll stop reading at verse 10 out of chapter 10. And we're going to be looking today at what Jesus means when he says, I am the door. And next week, we'll look at what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, so with that in mind, let's read uh, John chapter 10. You can read right along with me. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word. We may be flipping around a bit this morning in the Bible. Uh, but Christian, hear the word of the Lord to us in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters... By the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leaves them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray as you keep that Bible open in your lap. Now, Father, we pray most of all that we would see Jesus in this passage. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you are the door and that we are the sheep of your pasture. Uh, Father, would we listen to your voice and no one else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you really think about it for just a quick moment, uh, you know, you probably know what the most famous Bible verse is of all time. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to know what the most famous Bible verse probably of all time is. Anybody want to take a guess as to what the most common Bible verse is? John 3.16, yeah, uh, that's probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible that most people would know, uh, but I would suggest to you actually uh, that John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you know, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall be saved uh, and not perish. You know, that John 3.16, that famous construction that so many of us know, um, I, I don't know if that's actually the most famous passage. Uh, it may be, but I would actually suggest that there's probably another passage more famous. And if it's not more famous, uh, I would suggest to you that it is absolutely more loved <laughs> by more people. Uh, you know, as a pastor, I get the privilege of seeing people right before they die. I get to see people uh, when they are going through very difficult times in hospital rooms and all that uh, um, traumatic stuff. And uh, what strikes me uh, in hospital rooms and at funerals is no one has ever asked me to read to them John 3.16. You know what everybody wants to read at the hospital bedside? They want me to read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
Why do you think it's Psalm 23 that you're going to reach for on your hospital bed or your deathbed one day and not John 3.16? Well, it's not that they're saying different messages. I think it's because on some visceral level, uh, you and I, you know, people made in God's image, um, the Bible will call us as a metaphor. The Bible will call us sheep. (laughs) And what that means, friends, is that you and I need a shepherd. And we have all kind of trust issues with leaders, uh, and for good reason, right? Anybody just want to fast forward through 2020 into sort of oblivion, right? This is a year where it's especially visceral to us that we have trust issues when it comes to leaders. Uh, But it's not just in the political realm that we have trust issues. It's with teachers and authorities and doctors, and perhaps most of all for believers when it comes to spiritual teaching. And in fact, that's the context that Jesus begins to explain to us that he is the shepherd of the sheep, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the door of the sheepfold. And in fact, Jesus is actually making the argument in our passage this morning that he is not like the other religious leaders who want to abuse you or mistreat you. In fact, that Jesus is worth trusting. (laughs) And Jesus is saying that in a a number of ways because he's dealing with people who honestly have trust issues for very good reason. So I want you to see that in the passage this morning. Look down with me. Uh, If you were here last week, you may remember that we looked at John chapter 9. We took the whole passage. And in John chapter 9, at the beginning last week, you'll remember that Jesus, at the beginning of this story, sees a man with disabilities. He sees a man who is blind. Jesus doesn't see through him or see past him. He sees him, and he dignifies him, and he miraculously heals the man and restores his sight. And the reason Jesus does that is because he has compassion on this man, uh, but also to demonstrate his power. Jesus is not just a good teacher. Uh, He can restore the sight to blind people. He can perform miracles because Jesus is, after all, God in human form which is what Jesus is constantly trying to explain to people. Before Abraham was, I am. And at the end of this story in John chapter 9, you may remember uh, that the religious leaders uh, don't really appreciate Jesus. They find him a threat. And so what happens is they sort of uh, berate and they abuse this man born blind. Uh, They say all kind of awful things to him. Uh, They call him a sinner. They try to get him to disparage Jesus Uh, You look at verse 24, you know, these religious leaders look at this man and they say, oh, come on, Uh, confess that Jesus is a sinner, say he's nothing great. And that's where he famously says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know this, I was blind, but now I see. And then at the end of it, they end up kicking him out, actually, of the synagogue. They cast him out, they excommunicate him, to use uh, the actual Greek term, they excommunicate him from the religious life. And look what they say in verse 34 to this guy. They answered him, you are born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. So at the beginning of the story, you know, Jesus sees this man, uh, a man born blind, and he has compassion and he heals him. And at the end of the story, some religious leaders, the Pharisees of the time, they're so angry and they're so threatened by Jesus that they take this man born blind and they cast him out. And they utterly reject him and they make a swipe Uh, that somehow he was blind because of some sin in his life. You know, you were born in sin. That's why you're blind, and that's why something's wrong with you. You're wretched, and so they cast him out. And then in verses 35 through 41, what we see 
is fascinating because Jesus finds this man born blind and he brings him in, uh, not into Jesus' synagogue, but into Jesus' family. He says, do you want to believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, absolutely, who is he? And Jesus says, I am he. And you may get lost on this uh, because, you know, we see that chapter break right there, you know, chapter 10, uh, but, I, you know, you probably already know this, but remember these chapter breaks are not original to the passage. They were added years later to help us just frame what we're talking about. It'd be really hard to study the Bible if you couldn't point to specific verses. But when John was sitting down, he didn't put that, you know, chapter break right there. And this may be easier to see if you have a red-letter Bible this morning, because what's happening at the end of this story in John chapter 9 is a continuation for John chapter 10. In fact, there's no break because Jesus looks at the Pharisees and they say, well, are we blind? And Jesus says, yeah, if you think you're seeing and you don't think you need me, yeah, you're blind. That's what's making you blind. And then Jesus goes on in verse 10 to compare himself to these religious leaders who just abused this guy, who just kicked him out. And he says, look, I am the shepherd and whatever you guys are doing, you are thieves and robbers of the sheep. See, this uh, verse uh, 10, 1 through 21 is actually explaining to us what's happening in chapter 9. Uh, You can see that right there in verse uh, 19 and 20 and 21. Uh, You know, look at verse 21. You know, they're trying to make sense of Jesus. They say, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So this is not a separate passage from John chapter 10. This is utterly linked. And if you're going to understand chapter 10, you've got to understand what Jesus is speaking against. And who are these thieves and robbers? Well, they're the people like these religious leaders. So let's look at chapter 10, sort of seeing that bigger context. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees right now. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you religious leaders who just cast this man out, who abuse the sheep, who abuse God's people for your own ends, truly, truly, I say to you all, the one who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in some other way, that man is a thief and a robber. <laughs> so uh, what you may not have grasped is that when Jesus says those words, what he's describing is he's actually talking about the Pharisees. And he's saying, you guys are thieves and robbers, and you are abusing my sheep. They are my sheep, and you are mistreating them. And uh, that, that's pretty offensive, right? If you imagine Jesus is calling these religious leaders thieves and robbers, that instead of being shepherds, Uh, What they're doing is they're slaughtering the sheep so they can eat them, right? That They're thieves. They're stealing the sheep, and then they're killing them. They're destroying them so they can abuse the sheep for their own ends. And what I want you to grasp is, what are we supposed to take away from that? Um, It's kind of a strange topic uh, to consider. You know, maybe we don't really like to think about it. Uh, But what Jesus is saying in Jesus' worldview is that there are God's people in the world, those who trust in Him, and also in this world are people who are going to actively try to teach against the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, The New Testament calls these people false teachers. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, God goes after people who uh, presume to speak on behalf of God and twist the Scriptures. Uh, If you flip over to 2 Timothy, you can kind of get an idea of what this may look like. So go to 2 Timothy, if you will. I'll give you the page number in just a second. Go to 2 Timothy. It's page 1182. Um, Let's see what uh, the the idea of false teachers may look like. 
this is at least how the New Testament's going to talk about these quote-unquote religious leaders who are actually using their religion to abuse and mistreat God's people. So if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, now this is just for context, you know, just to kind of get an idea of how the Bible sees this. Uh, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, listen to what Paul is telling young Timothy, a pastor, about pastoral ministry. He says, but understand this, this is 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. He says, young Timothy, young Reverend Timothy, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves, oh, excuse me, lovers of selfies, lovers of money, Sorry, wait. It's the New Living Translation, I think. Lovers, <laughs> lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And that's just how we act online, you guys. We're lovers of ourselves, we're arrogant, we're abusive, we're slanderous, we're unappeasable, we're heartless, we're brutal. We lack self-control, and that's just what we do on Facebook. And what does Paul go on and say? And now he's going to shift into religious leaders who act the same way. From, for among them there are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses back in Exodus. So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And then we can skip down and look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul continuing his charge and listen to what he says. He says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth, and will wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then Paul goes on and says, because I'm about to die, Timothy, so don't, you know, mess this up. <laughs> Cling to God's Word. So, um, all that to say, it's an uncomfortable truth uh, to consider, but what Jesus is saying is happening in his lifetime. And then what Paul is telling Timothy is going to happen, and what is undoubtedly happening today is there are people who have infiltrated the church who say they speak on behalf of God and on behalf of Jesus, but actually they do it to, as Paul will say, they, they do it to abuse weak and helpless women. They do it to the marginalized. They do it for their own benefit. Uh, so I, I know it's hard to imagine, but um, it's very possible, friend, that a lot of ministers that you know and religious leaders, uh, maybe the ones you see on TV or hear on the radio or see online, that actually uh, they are not speaking on behalf of God, but they are actually abusing their people. They're greedy for gain. 
they use their people to prop up their own egos, their own bank accounts. See, friends, this is the uncomfortable nature of false teaching. They may speak on behalf of God and use religious language, but they use it for their own ends. It was certainly happening in Paul's time. Paul talks about it. It's certainly happening in Jesus' time because Jesus talks about it, and John's later on going to tell us that the main problem with the Pharisees was they were lovers of money. They wanted things. They liked their power and their prestige. So, if you're anything like me, you're like, how in the world, then, am I supposed to know who to listen to and who to trust? You know, how am I supposed to find a religious leader that I can trust? Uh, Well, um, if you're thinking, well, thank God, Dustin's up there, you're missing the point of the passage. (laughs) You're missing the point of the passage. Because if you're still looking for a person, you aren't looking to Christ yet. If you're still looking for a man or a preacher to worship, you haven't come fully to see that Jesus is your shepherd. Uh, My prayers do not ascend the the docket of God's, you know, answered prayers quicker than yours do. I am not your priest. I'm supposed to be an under-shepherd. I'm a pastor, which literally means shepherd. I'm your pasture guy. I'm supposed to remind you of the true shepherd. I love flipping through the Bible, so I'm going to point you to one more passage. Go to Ezekiel. Anyone read Ezekiel lately? Well, now you have. Go to page 857. And this is, uh, this is important to understand all of John chapter 10 because this is the Old Testament passage that Jesus is thinking about as Jesus talks in John chapter 10. Another way to say it is if you really want to understand what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10 and why he keeps talking about being a shepherd, you've got to understand what's gone on in Ezekiel 34. You've got to understand how God views many of the quote-unquote religious leaders in the Old Testament times. And so Ezekiel 34, uh, this is Ezekiel, he's speaking, you know, to uh, the quote-unquote shepherds. And he doesn't mean the literal shepherds, okay? This is a metaphor, right? He's talking to the, the quote-unquote religious leaders of the time, right? He's, he, God is going to go after the religious leaders, um, not the good ones like the prophets we know of, but the ones that are intentionally lying and deceiving God's people for their own ends. And I want you to catch what God thinks of people who do that. It's terrifying if you're one of them. Look at Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. That's Ezekiel talking. So God told me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the, fo- the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you haven't healed, the injured you haven't bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Flip the page. 
what's God going to do? God's saying the religious leaders of the time have mistreated God's people. They haven't spoken correctly. They haven't sought the lost sheep. Ever wonder where Jesus gets the parable of the lost sheep? Gets it from Ezekiel 34. Jesus has come to find the lost sheep. And how is God going to respond? What's God's solution? How is he going to answer this charge of bad teachers who mistreat people? Well, you've got to read Ezekiel 34. And what I want you to do, if you're that kind of person, I want you to underline in your Bible. I give you permission to underline in the blue Bible. (laughs) Nothing bad will happen. You can underline in the Bible. What What I want you to do is I want you to just keep in your mind every time God says the pronoun I or my. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of K. Arthur inductive study for a second. I and my. Notice how many times God talks about what he specifically is going to do. All right, let's start in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country." I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my people, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between the shepherds, those goats, and the sheep. And then look at verse 22 down at the bottom. I think you're getting the idea. But now this is where it gets even more fascinating. Who's going to shepherd God's people? Who's going to shepherd God's people? God is. God's going to do it. God's going to seek the lost. And now it gets even more fascinating. Look at verse 22. God's continuing to talk. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my shepherd David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken." So who in the world is supposed to be the shepherd of God's people? Is it God? Absolutely. But then at the very end of Ezekiel 34, God says, but really the real shepherd is going to be the descendant of King David, my servant David, of the line of David, and I will set him up to be the shepherd. So when Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he says, you're a bunch of thieves and robbers. You have mistreated my people. You have not spoken rightly on me, my behalf. He's thinking in terms of Ezekiel 34. And who is the shepherd? God is. See, we, it's hard to know who to trust. Uh, but this is why this passage is such good news. Because Jesus doesn't say, well, cling to some other human or cling to some other man. What Jesus says is, look to me. Look at verse 2. 
he says, well, if there are thieves and robbers, religious leaders we're not supposed to trust, who are we supposed to trust? Who is faithful? Who is worthy of following? Well, he's going to talk about himself. Jesus goes on in verse 2 in John chapter 10, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. But a stranger they won't follow, but they will flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, embedded within, that, within those verses right there is um, a bunch of things about shepherding and sheep that maybe you and I aren't fully aware of, because you know, we don't live in the ancient Near Eastern world, and many of us haven't been to Israel and seen how they shepherd. Uh, but what Jesus is saying is all he's doing is he's comparing himself. He's saying, there are religious people who are going to mistreat you and lie to you and abuse you, but I'm not one of them. They're stealing the sheep, you know, they're, they're, you know, maybe one guy, you know, puts, you know, he stands up against the, the wall of the sheep, the other guy climbs on his shoulders and he jumps over and, you know, slits the sheep's throat, they throw him over, that, there's dinner, right? That's what some people are doing, right, in the metaphor, but Jesus says, no, I am the only one who can rightfully go into the sheepfold and call out my own, and I know them all by name. And really, the, the image that you need to have in your head right there um, is sort of, you can imagine like an ancient Near Eastern house, right? Um, you know, so picture, you know, the Middle East, you know, that picture of a house, right? And maybe it's in a, a neighborhood of some kind, right? There are other houses around. And what happens, you know, in, in Jesus' world was, you know, there would have been a big, tall, maybe a six-foot fence, or excuse me, wall, right? And all of the shepherds, when nighttime would come, they would all bring their sheep back into this sort of communal sheepfold, right? So there's a bunch of sheep in there, and they're all owned by different people, right? And what Jesus says is he has the right, unlike the thieves and the robbers, to go into the sheepfold, and he can actually pick his sheep out by name. And uh, if you know the ancient Near Eastern world at all, or if you've ever, you know, studied shepherding, what's really beautiful is every shepherd uh, maybe would have had his own little pipe, he would have played a special song, or if he said a certain sheep's name like Wooly, you know, or Snowflake, they would all have come specifically by name. Um, you know, the, the, probably the closest analogy would be like if you went to, if you were like really into, I don't know, golden retrievers or something, and you went to a golden retriever party, and there's like 30 golden retrievers at the dog park, right? and you were like, you know, hey, Sparky, come on, you know, your dog would come to your name, and you would probably be able to tell your dog from all the other dogs, right? That's the kind of um, close relationship shepherds have with sheep. It still goes on today. They would have been able to say specifically what sheep are which, and they would have all given them a nickname, and what Jesus is saying right there is he is not going in to kill or abuse the sheep. He loves the sheep. He's close to them, and he has full access to go in. And what he does is he calls out his sheep from among the people. And what Jesus is talking about is actually salvation. About what it means to come to faith in him. That Jesus comes to all people, the people in the sheepfold. And he calls them by name. And he says, follow me. You see, this is exactly what Jesus has done for the man born blind. Jesus found him, and he called him by name. And he says, follow me. So if you're a Christian this morning, that means on a profound level that that is what has happened to you. God has called you by name called you by name. He knows you individually. He knows your pains and your struggles and your sufferings, and He is in it with you. 
And the other thing that I want you to grasp about shepherding in the ancient world that's so beautiful, uh, you may have missed it, but in verse 3, it says he calls his own sheep by name. See that in verse 3, second half? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, you may think those are sort of throwaway lines, but it's important for us to understand how shepherding would have worked and still actually works today. Uh, in the ancient world, what would happen is uh, the shepherd would not be driving the sheep. The shepherd would actually be leading the sheep out front, which is actually the opposite of how we shepherd over here in the Western world. The way we shepherd is we get a bunch of dogs, right? And then the shepherd is in the back yelling at the sheep, and the dogs herd the sheep, and we drive animals. Think about how we would drive cattle, right? We stand from behind with whips, and we drive the sheep from behind. And we use dogs and stuff, right? Because we drive the sheep, right? But in Israel, what happens is actually the opposite. The shepherd is in front, and the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. And that is a profoundly important image to grasp, Christian. Because when you think about what it means to follow Jesus, or you think about what it means to live your Christian life in a day-to-day way, I think so many of us feel like somewhere God is like behind us and kind of like pushing us to do things that maybe we don't want to do and that God is somehow like mysteriously hidden somewhere. And like our job is to sort of just stumble our way through the dark of this life and try to figure out what is, what is it that God really wants me to do. I'm just stumbling my way through life. But friends, that's the exact opposite of the image that Jesus is giving us. In fact, what Jesus does is he is in front of us. And the way we work our way through the dark is by listening for his voice and seeing where he's leading us. He's actually out in front of you, leading you. Jesus doesn't drive you, <laughs> you know, the way that your, your boss drives you, right? Jesus leads you. And just consider what that means. You know, remember I was saying everybody loves Psalm 23? You know, everybody loves Psalm 23. And I think one of the most powerful things about Psalm 23 is it talks about death. And we very rarely talk about death. You know, it's uncomfortable. But in uh, Psalm 23, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You know, this idea that even if we're stumbling through life, even if we're close to death, God is with us. But Christian, do you grasp that Jesus already walked through the valley of the shadow of death for you? He has already died. He has already seen death. And he's come back from the dead. There is nothing you fear. There is no rejection you can experience. There is no fear of death that Jesus hasn't faced down already for you. This is why you and I no longer have to fear death. Because our great shepherd is not behind us sort of pushing us to the grave. He's in front of us having already overcome it. Friend, do you see Jesus as in front of you, or do you see him driving you? 
See, this is why the good news is that we don't listen to the voice of strangers. Look at verse 5. You know, a stranger, God's people aren't going to follow, but they flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. You know, how are you supposed to know who to trust? You know, how are you supposed to know who to trust? What religious leaders? Jesus says, my people know my voice. The person you are supposed to follow is Jesus. And don't set your hope on any man or any religious leader. Set your hope on the voice of Jesus alone. He's worthy of following. And we are, mar- you, know, you, know, you know, if you're a believer, one of the ways you know if you're a believer is when Jesus says something, you're like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> Jesus says it, okay, I want to do it. I want to follow him. That's the mark of being a believer, is yearning to follow Jesus. Now, of course, uh, you know, this is pretty embedded, right, all into Ezekiel 34, and I get that. And, you know, if you didn't catch all of that when we first read this passage, I don't blame you because neither does John. Now, look at verse 6. He says, this figure of speech, you know, uh, this parable, uh, this saying, this um, message, this figure of speech that Jesus used with them, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. <laughs> they didn't grasp all of this. They're like, what are, we, what are you talking about? Thieves and robbers, and wait a second, who's the, who's the gatekeeper, and who's the shepherd, and what's going on? So in verse 7, Jesus actually lovingly simplifies the image for us. And so Jesus is like, all right, let me, let me start over again. Let me say this again. I'm going to simplify it. Forget the gatekeeper. I'm going to make it really clear. <laughs> He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And anybody who came before me, all these liars like the Pharisees, uh, don't trust them. And my people aren't even going to listen to them because I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, you know, how, how is the shepherd the door? You know, again, this is going back to the ancient world. They would have understood all of this. Uh, but during the summertime, when it came to, you know, pasturing and putting a, a sheepfold in the summertime, you'd bring your sheep up to the mountains where there was green grass, you know, and, the, and all of the shepherds were great mountaineers. They would have known how to go up to the mountains and where the green grass was for the sheep to eat. And then they would have constructed sort of a temporary sheepfold, you know, maybe briars and sticks and stuff. And that's where the sheep would spend the summers. Uh, but over the summer, they would not have put a door on a temporary structure. Um, the gate would have simply been where the shepherd would have slept. And so, literally, the shepherd would have been the door. Uh, in fact, one of the great commentators uh, years ago went to Israel, and he asked a man uh, who was shepherding in the Near Eastern world, and he said, so this is your sheepfold, huh? And the guy said, yeah. And the scholar said, well, you know, where's the door? And the shepherd, who wasn't a Christian, said, I'm the door. I sleep right here. I'm the door. So it's the image that Jesus is giving us of his sheep. And all Jesus is saying, right, is that he alone is worthy of trusting, right, that he alone is worth following. And what I love so much about that is that when Jesus is the door, what it means is he has come to bring you the fullest life possible. Jesus doesn't have ulterior motives with you. Notice that when Jesus is the door, um, his focus is not just on protection, right? Um, It's great to protect the sheep, right? But the purpose of being in a sheepfold is that you can get out of the sheepfold when you need to, and you can thrive, and you can eat grass, and then you can be protected. Uh, But Jesus' only focus is not just on keeping you safe. Notice what he says. 
Look at verse 9. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, that is, if they come to have faith in me, he will be saved. He'll be safe, right, for eternity, and will go in and out and find pasture. You know, it's this beautiful image that what Jesus is saying, friend, is that when you follow Jesus, you are going to become what you were always meant to be, that you are going to thrive in a way that you never thought possible. All of these people with ulterior motives that want to use you and mistreat you, Jesus says, I'm not one of them. I am the good shepherd, and I will protect you when you need protecting. But when it comes time for you to eat grass, (laughs) to thrive, I'll open the door, and you can come in and out. And this is why he says in verse 10, he says, look, other people, their goal is to steal and kill and destroy you. You know, they want lamb chops tonight for dinner. That's not me. I have come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. You know, I think that uh, that may be my life verse. You know, I, I don't know if I've set one, but the idea that Jesus has come to give you the abundant life, Christian, uh, is so profoundly beautiful. Uh, Jesus' goal is not just to control you or to keep you, you know, safe, whatever that means, or to protect you. He wants you to flourish, to be what you're always meant to be, to be a sheep to go out when you need to go out and to come back in and be protected. Now, let me just finish with this. Um, You know, why do you think it is that Psalm 23 is so beloved? Why do you think it's so beloved? Could it be because (laughs) at our heart, you and I are sheep, and we're desperate to find the good shepherd? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have come as the good shepherd and that you even laid down your life for the sheep. Uh, Lord, that you became sin uh, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Lord, we pray for everyone in this church right now that they would enter through the door through faith in you. Uh, They wouldn't look to any man uh, or any person, but they would look only to Jesus, your Son. And Father, we thank you that we can trust you and that you have designed us to flourish. Help us to follow you. Amen.